Welcome to Uphill Conversations, your ride-along partners for your emerging future. Everything in life worth having is uphill. You can't go uphill with downhill habits. It's time for another show. Are you ready to be inspired? Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to Uphill Conversations. I'm your host, Tim. I'm so glad you could join me today as you are living your life and heading toward your emerging future. Hopefully you are eliminating any downhill habits and canceling out all agreements with limiting beliefs. And yes, it is so true. You can be more, do more, and have more. This is episode number 84. And yes, it's in the books. I have a great guest today, an incredible author, um, Ellen Tad. Very, very enlightening conversation. Um, but hey, let me say this really quick. March Madness, Villanova won. I did pick them. My bracket proves it. I'm a big UConn fan because that's where I'm from, Connecticut. They weren't even in it, um, but I did pick Villanova. They won. And the ladies, I thought the women would win UConn, but they got beat by Notre Dame, which is my second favorite um, team. And um, man, they pulled off buzzer beaters twice, and it was incredible. So I love seeing... Um, the March Madness. I love seeing just what happens and I love seeing things come down to the wire. Kind of like life, you know, you got to be willing to put in the work and um, when it counts, you got to put up that last shot and you may have seconds to spare. So um, all your training shows up when you're in those situations. Hey, um, would love it if you would stay connected. Go to uphillconversations.co. You can find all the social channels there on the, the website, all the episodes. Um, also connect, uh, you can just connect. There's a form there you fill out, say hello, uh, what you're interested in. If there's any way that I can serve or help, I would love that. Love helping people. Um, also, um, I would love it if you would go to iTunes and Stitcher and, or whichever you use, just type in uphill conversations and rate and review the show, share the show, check out all the older episodes, um, and we have some great ones on the horizon. I'm working on some great, great guests. As the past have been great, I'm looking to even continue to build on um, just that wonderful catalog of wonderful people who are great ride-along partners. And also on Mondays, I've been putting up videos. Each week I started, this is the fourth one that I put up. Um, it's with um, what I do every day. Um, this this podcast is all about, it's a gift. I like to just share information with the world. But um, what I do every day is I get to coach. I coach people and I get to spend time um, helping people um, bring out the very best in themselves and to discover what their belief and potential can actually accomplish. But it's called TGIM. Uh, thank God it's Monday just little snippets of videos that I put up. You can find them on the website, uphillstrategies.co, or just go to YouTube, type in Uphill Strategies um, or my name, and those videos can pop up. And I would love it if you subscribe to the show. So little Monday morning inspiration and motivation for you as you go along about your day. So my guest today, Ellen Tad. Um, has a new book, The Infinite View, a guidebook for life on earth. You know, when I got a hold of the book and I was reading it, um, what really grabbed me, I was like, I definitely want her to be on the show. Um, I'm going to read this passage. 
It says, our lives are colored as much by the accumulation of small, sometimes scarcely noticeable details as by events that mark obvious turning points. By consciously choosing to focus on what inspires us, we begin to sense our ability to significantly influence our inner life, even in the midst of difficulties. I love that. I mean, it was, it, it just moved me. I mean, just that cons- that consciously choosing to focus on what inspires us. And I've been really paying a lot of attention more to the things that inspire me. I was paying attention to the things that were bothering me. And um, it's because I'm a problem solver. And so not getting angry and freaking out and mad or anything, it's just like, why? Why is this happening? Why are they doing this? You know, what are they thinking? Um, I just decided that's not the direction I'm going to go, right? And it has made a world of difference for me. And we all are growing and changing and learning, hopefully, and going through processes of transformation. So um, once I read that, I was like, definitely need her on the show. But then there was one other part. And she says, when we consider the history of the word, you know, um, and this word is positivity and inspiration, we begin to understand that we can reach for inspiration as simply and naturally as breathing. Man, that is rich. That To inspire means to breathe in. And that is what I hope you'll do as you listen to this episode with a wonderful, wonderful person. Um, so without any delay, let's jump into this conversation with Ellen Tad. Hello and welcome to the show, Ellen. How are you and how are things going in your world? Well, thank you. It's, it's a great opportunity to talk with you today. I always tell people that um, many things are going on in my world. <laughs> it's never a simple answer for me, you know, some magnificent things, some challenging things, you know, I think, I think life is complex. And that's okay. Magnificent and challenging. What a great pairing. I love that because you can still find magnificence within the challenge, right? Eventually. <laughs> I like that. Eventually. That's right. It may not start off that way. It feels sometimes you can feel like it's insurmountable. So um, why don't you tell a little bit about yourself, like just you and what you, what you do, um, the person that you feel uh, you bring out into this world daily, and um, even a little bit about um possibly your work or even the impact that you want to make in this world or the difference you'd like to make. So my new book is called The Infinite View. And the first line in that book is that my mother gave me birth and my mother gave me rebirth. And the watershed event for me that really changed everything happened when I was 19 And I was a freshman in college. I was searching. I was a sensitive in an insensitive world, and I was often overwhelmed. And my mother had died two years earlier and had a severe case of MS. And when I went to Manhattan to visit my older brother at the time, I met his new girlfriend. Her name was Catherine. And she put out her hand and said, is there anyone who is dead you'd like to speak to? 
And I remember being startled. And I was raised by my father, who is a physicist. I grew up with no religion, but a scientifically oriented home. And so I didn't know if I believed in life after death or not. But I knew I was searching for answers. And I wanted to understand why one person is sick and one person is well and one person is rich and one person is poor. I wanted to make some sense out of life. So I said, I don't know if I can, but I would like to speak with my mother if I can. So that night we went to her one room apartment in the village and um, she started to go into trance and she had two cats that were jumping off the walls and ran into the bathroom. So I knew there was something genuine going on. And then she had to lie down and I saw my mother's face superimposed over hers. And it was absolutely clear to me that my mother was coming through her. And I had to bend down and listen very carefully because it was hard for her to speak. And she said, do not mourn for me. I chose what I endured to learn compassion for those who suffer. And she said, no matter how things appear, if you look deeply, you'll see there are always reasons. And then after that, it was like a veil was lifted and a natural clairvoyance and clairaudience I had as a child started to come back and I stopped fighting it. And then the spiritual world really opened up to me. And I, you know, because I came from an academic background, I, um, I really said, okay, I have, I have this ability. What am I going to do with it? My brother was a musician and he had to decide, did he want, you know, to play a guitar or the piano? Um, what kind of music did he want to play? And I had to decide what did I want to do with a clairvoyance and a clairaudience. And I decided I, ironically, was not that interested in giving messages from dead relatives, which is what opened me up. But I was interested in the philosophical uh, questions. Who are we? Why are we here? What's the meaning of life? How do we navigate um, challenges with wisdom? And so I had a 10-year training with magnificent beings in the spiritual world, beings of light and, and just levels of compassion and wisdom that far exceeds my own. And they trained me. And, and I have been training now students for 30 years. And, and now my book is a combination of some of these experiences. Well, that's a great opening and one I've never had, which is great. And I love that you are very, you're very clear on your journey on getting there. A lot of, um, you know, I tell people I do things accidentally on purpose, <laughs> uh, <yes. laughs> you know, and, 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 and I just want you to know, um, you know, there, I have all types of, um, listeners in the audience, um, that have religious backgrounds, non-religious backgrounds, science, some aren't sure. So I just want you to know, I appreciate you just being comfortable, um, and being able to share it because, um, there are people, and here's what I say. I may not, uh, how can I put this? You know, I, I've engaged some, there's some people that I've, I've met over the years and I'm not, you know, I feel like I'm 48 years young. And uh, I say to them, they'll they'll share things with me. 
And they're like, you know, they're like, hey, so can you see it? Isn't it like this? And I'm like, no, I can appreciate everything that you're saying. But I love, you know, even from a principal standpoint, I feel like being more open to hearing um, so that we can be more informed. And I think what impressed me about your book was I know a lot of people who will love it. And I know a lot of people, and this is just me being very open, that would just so be so resistant because they won't allow themselves to hear anything other than what has just been either drilled into them or their life exposure and experience. So I applaud you for writing um, and you do it in such a beautiful way. What I've been able to, as I said, I didn't get to finish it yet, but I like the way you write. I like your, I like how you tell story, you bring people in. And I believe story is a big component for us to, to find understanding um, and being able to share from a deeper place. So I do want to tell you that I, I really, really, that was one of the things that got me. And of course, your title is amazing, The Infinite View, A Guidebook for Life on Earth. But you have one neat part in, the, in your uh, cover that says, The Infinite View offers tools and insights needed to achieve this attunement, drawing on her personal narrative as well as the experience of her students. And I love this. Tad helps readers transform their understanding of themselves and the world around them. What gets me is the transformation part because that's what happens. People are just living their lives, fixed mindsets, closed off to a lot of things, pretty much wrapping themselves up in the blanket of whatever was offered to them in their upbringing or their current condition, or which has become their current condition. But you are focused in on transformation and understanding of themselves in the world around them. Talk more about that if you would. Um, and I know I said a lot there in the beginning, so please, you can respond or reply any way you feel, but if I really would like for you to open that up, the understanding of themselves, the world around them, as it relates to what you've discovered. Thank you. Thank you. You know, I'm, I'm always very happy that I was raised by a scientist, um, because I know that most, um, of what scientists talk about are theories, not facts that um, it's not uncommon for something to be discovered and then something more to be learned. And then um, what was considered a fact is, is obsolete. So, um, you know, I never say I have the truth. I always say I have strong convictions, but the convictions can evolve because I also feel open to learning. So even though I've had very dramatic experiences I know that experiences can be genuine, but they can also be misinterpreted. Mm. So I feel, you know, quite, quite humble in the process, but I've also had such remarkable experiences. And also I've seen how the work I do has affected my students. So therefore I'm compelled to share it. So one of the uh, parts that's so important to me that I share in my book is, uh, it, well, actually a story. Um, you know, clairvoyantly, I watched my son incarnate. And, you know, I thought I was going to be a child psychologist before I had a spiritual awakening, because I always loved development. And I could watch children endlessly because they're developing so quickly. And 
when I opened up clairvoyantly and I had children, I was able to converse with my son before he was born. And then I talk about the experience of watching his etheric or energy body dissolve, then a beam of white light enter the new child. And then in a couple of hours, a baby was born. And it was quite clear to me that um, he wasn't mine. I was providing a vehicle for him. And so it became very important for me to ask some fundamental questions. Who is this being that I'm providing a vehicle for? Why has he come to the earth? How can I help support his process rather than projecting my conclusions on him? So I see everyone as spirit temporarily on the earth and that I have been taught that originally we came into form so we could express and create but then we started to lose our connection with our truer identity and we started to have uh, imbalance and negativity and fear and so now I see life on the earth as a school we're coming here to experience many aspects of life that often repeat for us because we have a theme that we're working on. And so um, how do we become more conscious of who we are, why we're here, and what our lessons are? So this is where I talk about attunement. Attunement I define as having our conscious mind connect to the spirit level. And it doesn't matter what religion you are. Um, this can be helpful, you know, for people in all walks of life. It, it really isn't a doctrine. It's an experience. And so I, I uh, absolutely stress meditation because it's a form of learning to listen deeply, deep enough that we can get beyond our pre preconceived notions. That is so, that's so powerful and rich because I'm a person, I, I'm always trying to let people know, you know, you ever hear someone say my feelings, my feelings, this hurt me. This makes me angry. This, all these things they say over and over. And the first thing is they, first of all, you need to own it from your point of view and not project that onto someone else. Those are called boundaries and limits, right? However, we can have empathy and compassion. We can understand those types of things. But you have to learn to go inside because you have emotions, but you're actually a spiritual being with emotions. <laughs> you are a spiritual per you that's what you are is spirit. And there's more things for you to discover beyond, you know, part of the you know of the relationship that you have with your emotions and your in your your thinking ability. You have spirit, soul, mind, body. You have, you have, there's more. However, the Genesis is this spiritual person. And I like what you brought up where you, you talked about this, you know, the negativity, how it's taken over, how we've lost sight of why we're really here. Or did we, do we really know why we're here, who we are, how we're showing up and what, what can we do? And the thing that grabbed me in your book, I believe it was I think it's in chapter six. You spend time um, walking through positivity. Yes. Um, and I love this quote. I guess it's, you know, something that you say, but positivity is our greatest 
protection. So before we move into, I have those three things I want to really drill in because I get a lot of questions. As a coach, I coach um, entrepreneurs, individuals, and businesses and stuff. And I, man, it's amazing to me how positivity is like, it's, it's an afterthought or it's, it's like option, you know, L M N O P, you know, it's like way back there instead of starting in that as a first position, but positivity as our greatest protection. How could you like express that out more, unpack that a little bit more for the listeners, just that statement on how positivity is our greatest protection. So I define positivity as attitudes based in spiritual principles like love or compassion or balance or clarity, um, order. These are principles that hold life together. And you can know a spiritual principle by the fact that you can't have too much of it. You can't have too much compassion. You can't have too much clarity. But you can have too much tolerance Tolerance is not a spiritual principle. So negativity are attitudes and actions not based in spiritual principles. So that can be, um, you know, jealousy or fear or um, confusion. So every thought we think and every feeling we have creates an energetic response. The aura changes with our thoughts and our feelings and our actions. So when someone is in negativity, the aura shrinks and it also becomes more unpleasant in color. When someone's in positivity, the aura expands and the colors become brighter and more beautiful. So when the aura expands, it's like an armor of light that protects us from absorbing the negativity in the world. There's a part in my book where I say neutral is not strong enough. I do an exercise in my class where I line up four people and there is a person in the front and a person in the back and two in the middle. And I whisper a nasty thought in the ear of the person in the end of the line. And then I go to the front of the line and test the muscle of the person in the front of the line and they're weakened. And then I go to the back of the line and whisper a lovely, wonderful, loving thought and the person in the front of the line is strengthened. So when you go into the grocery store or the bank and you are standing next to someone who's angry or negative and you're minding your own business, you're gonna walk out depleted unless you cultivate positivity, which will expand the aura and keep you from overly absorbing the environment. And I like to say that what we all need to learn to do is become a positive influence instead of being negatively affected. That is so great. And I, and I remember that story because I was going to actually bring it up because I have that's what I was looking at was, you know, the three areas, the inspiration area, which that is where you speak about that, um, that story of, of how you line the students up and you do that exercise. Um, and then the affirmation side in the, the combining inspiration and affirmation. So th that 
that experiment, I think that's great. Lining the people up and speaking that negativity in one time and then positivity another time and seeing the effect that it has on the people lined up touching and then you touching the person in the far end and putting pressure on their arm and they're stronger with the positive than they are the negative. But also I love that you can't be neutral because we need to understand that we were made to make impact as human beings. We were made to, I say, put power into people, not over them, not under them, nor withhold it. And we have the ability to do that through um, being positive with inspiration and affirmation. You, you, you start off that chapter, I believe, and you talk about um, the positivity one, uh, the ch- chapter six, I did find it. It is chapter six. And you talk about the, it's the same room full of people, but in one, when you first go into the room, the scenario is imagine walking in to a room full of confused, highly competitive people in emotional turmoil. First of all, like, Oh my gosh, that's such a great visual. Unfortunately, we see that more than, than we want to, I believe. You, your, your question is, would you be able to relax? Can you sense your facial muscles tightening, you know, your thoughts becoming judgmental and your emotions churning? But then you talk about, you know, that it's rare to find ourselves in situations at either end of the spectrum because of, you know, of, of the experiences that we have. But what if you switch that room and it was the opposite, that you could walk into the room where you have more of the positivity, you see people elevating one another, you see, you know, that effect on, you know, on a room, the same room, and you, you feel better, your face, your expression, everything emotes differently out of you. Um, Why do you feel that people are not more proactive to just that example, proactive in seeing that to be better. Usually you have a mix of both. You never walk into the room that's perfectly one way or perfectly the other. You have a mix. What do you feel like holds holds people back from trying to at least add that element of making a difference in that room in that context of being positive to inspire something better or different? So I also I also have a chapter about um the relationship between the solar plexus and third eye chakras. And um, I became interested in the chakra system about 10 years after my spiritual awakening. And I, I didn't read books on them. I used my clairvoyant perception to watch people's chakras. I became a chakra watcher. And chakra means wheel in Sanskrit. And there are seven fundamental energy centers or wheels that go from the top of the head to the base of the spine. And just like our internal organs have their appropriate role to play, our chakras have an appropriate role to play. Our eyes function differently than our ears. And so there's a chapter where I really emphasize the third eye, which is the chakra in the middle of the forehead, which is the center of wisdom, it's often called the all-seeing eye, and the gut, the solar plexus. And so when I started watching people, I noticed that some people, lots of people, live life focused in the gut. And I see this as a mistake. Whoever said, follow your gut, I think it's a 
mistake. Yeah, <laughs> I, I agree. <laughs> and um, and the third eye is the center of wisdom, and the heart is the center of love. I always say the heart is a radiator, not a discriminator. You can love someone who isn't good for you, and so you need to get away. Right. So it's not it's not a discriminator. The third eye is the center of decision making, and the intellect is like our computer. It's fabulous to have a fast computer. It's fabulous to have a fast intellect. But do you want to ask your computer who you should marry? You know, the intellect is not the decision maker. There are educated people who are not wise, and there are wise people who are uneducated. And the third eye in the middle of the forehead is the center of wisdom. Now, what I see um, is that many cultures are solar plexus dominant, that most, many, many people live in the gut. And what happens is you have a person walk in that room of negativity and positivity. And when someone is living in the gut, because the gut is the center of emotion and feeling, it's also the center of harmony. When people are in the gut, they want what they want. They're not in harmony unless things are as they want them to be. And if they're not the way they want them to be, they get reactionary. They get mad or sad or hurt. And so this reactionary tendency of living life focused in the gut makes it very hard for people not to overly absorb and get affected by the negativity of others. So what happens is negativity starts ricocheting and it escalates and the the solar plexus is the most misused center. It's kind of like using your hands as if they're eyes. If you're blind, you have to do that. But if you're not blind and you open your eyes, life is much clearer. <laughs> so... Um, so the solar plexus dominance, to me, is one of the major reasons we have alcoholism, drug abuse, eating disorders, rage, violence, reactionary. And so I am such a big proponent of healing this center by learning to live life looking out of your forehead and developing the skill of focus and concentration. And I write about this. That's incredible. You know, I, um, I'm working on something I'm developing and it's, um, just the idea of the power of observation coupled with intuition, but it's the observation in, in what you're saying is that third eye. That's the way I'm viewing it. I'm just using this word of observation. In other words, being able to put yourself in a spot where you're moving, it's not starting with the gut or intuition, um, and I know maybe my looking at it's going to be different slightly than your the way you presented it. But I think there's power in learning to bring them together. We need to learn how to take our total being, starting with the the core and the essence of who we are and how we show up, um, and understanding our spiritual person, and then learning how to get them to relate to the other parts of who we are. We are very complex. We're very complicated. Um, but I do believe that there's a way to simplify complex things. 
you know, make them simpler. And that's what we need to be doing, learning to simplify them because life is already going to be complicated enough. But if we could find out where these things are originating if from, if we can understand more um, on how we're made up and how we function, it's going to help us. And that's why I'm so fascinated with learning how to have greater observation, greater awareness, um, learning to be in tune to what's around you, picking up on the vibrations that are around us, learning to experience what's going on um, and, and move that into a place where we can make decisions from. So in your studies and um, in, in your learning and what you've discovered and the wisdom that I feel that you've been able to, to, to gather, which I like the other thing you said earlier was, you know, theories are one thing, evidence is better. And that's what I tell people all the time. That's a great theory, but where's your evidence? Because evidence is what we ultimately need. How do you help people connect with the understanding that, you're going to be picking up all these things. Don't freak out because you're picking them up. You were you were actually designed this way. You're created this way. This is who we are. How do you now teach them to learn to make relationship out of the other parts of who they are for better decision making, better road mapping, or um, actually even better responses versus reacting? Well, one of the phrases I use is perception informs feeling. How we perceive informs how we feel. So the third eye is the kingpin because it's not that being focused in the third eye isn't integrating the solar plexus. It absolutely is. It happens naturally from the clarity of perception. And so I, I teach people tools and techniques. Um, you know, I, I have a beginning course that I teach, and many of the um, concepts come from having the skill of meditation. That, you know, yesterday I was teaching um, that you antidote inadequacy with humility. And hmm. it's one thing for me to teach my class intellectually, this is how you do it. It's not that effective. But when I bring them into a meditation and they experience a memory of feeling insecure or inadequate, and then they apply the attitude of humility, it goes away when they truly understand what humility is. And one of the real problems we have in our culture is that, or a number of cultures, is that the antidotes or the prescriptions for problems that are given to us often don't work. Right. That right. when someone is feeling inadequate, we're told to build them up, to tell them how great they are. It doesn't work. It doesn't penetrate. You see, humility means that we're just one small significant part of the whole. We're just another pebble on the beach, but every pebble is important because every pebble makes up the beach. When people feel inadequate and they're trying to get to greatness, they don't get there. But if you go to humility first 
and you recognize that my guides say it this way, you're one small creation and you are the creator. And when we feel both, we feel that we are part of the creative force of life, but we're just one small creation, then we have it in perspective. Hmm. That That's a... I mean, it's very rich and robust, and I like, I like everything that you're saying. I, I just want to know, like, how do you? I mean, that's a lot for a person to be able to take in, and I know that you don't just thrust that all upon them in a when you're teaching this. And I, and I'm a person that a firm believe believer in meditating, and like learning to just be still, contemplate, reflect feel, know what's going on inside yourself. And I know everyone has different uh, ways of approaching it. Um, but with all of that, especially the anecdote, I love what you said, the anecdote, um, when it comes to inadequacy, the anecdote is employing humility and understanding what real humility is. So if there was a way how do you how do you help a person first of all recognize that you can get over this inadequacy and it's not just going to come from someone patting you on the back and giving you an encouraging word because i think you said that does not penetrate what makes how does humility help that penetration when it comes to dealing with um being feeling inadequate well you know when i work with people sometimes i work with a person once and sometimes I work with a person for 20 years. So the difference of the depth of the work we do varies tremendously. If I only get to work with someone for one hour, then I have to be very strategic about how I can be most helpful with a very little bit of time. And um, I, always, I, I always look at a person's past lives because it helps them to understand what their strengths and weaknesses are in an arc of evolution. And then I always teach people how to live life looking through the third eye. Because to become a really good meditator takes time and takes practice. To learn how to activate the third eye is kind of a pivot away. It's, it's very quick. I'm working with a student who's bringing my understanding of the chakra system into uh, schools in the state of Vermont. And, you know, we take children who, who are angry or frustrated or they can't do their homework and send them to the focus corner where they walk a balance beam or they um, use Velcro darts. We have focus props which activate the third eye chakra. And when this happens, they go from, from out of balance to wise sages. They go from not being able to focus on their homework to being able to enjoy getting it done. I can't emphasize enough the power of the activation of the third eye to navigate our lives, to help maintain emotional integrity, and to not get swayed by cultural messages that don't serve us. Mm. That's very rich. Very, very rich. Um, going back into, you know, because I'm very fascinated um, with the notion that people can actually live a life apart from 
you're going to face negative things, but you don't have to embrace and and roll around in it <laughs> in negativity. Negativity. Um, and one of the things that you said in your book, in fact, um, you say if we look at history of the word itself, the word inspiration, which is a, one of the components that you have um, under positivity, that inspiration originally derived from a Latin verb meaning to breathe in. That with meditation, this is great. Would you talk more about understanding where breathing in? So when you consider, as you have in the book, um, the history of the word, we begin to understand that we can reach for inspiration as simply and naturally as breathing. How does that help people in with meditation. So when you talk about just breathing, I know you probably have a lot more ways of how you are wanting them to apply that understanding, but taking meditation and simply breathing for a person to experience a a greater, um, uh, how do I put it, uh, a way to embrace the, the realm of positivity to overcome negativity. So when I teach meditation, I, I teach it like an X. The bottom part of the X is everyday thought. The point in the center is stillness. And then the upper part of the X is connection, revelation, bliss, insight, any number of wonderful things. And so if we're starting at brain chatter, the first step to getting to that point of stillness that I teach is opening the crown chakra at the top of the head. So the crown chakra at the top of the head is the bridge from the spiritual to the material world. And, you know, it's the golden halo in religious pictures. And what opens it is inspiration, devotion, and trust. What closes it is fear, worry, and discouragement. And depression is a closed crown chakra. The aura actually depresses when people are discouraged. And when people are inspired, the aura expands, which creates a happy feeling. And I always say the crown chakra is the key to happiness mm. because when it's opened and expanded, we feel glad to be alive. And when it's really closed, that's depression. We get cut off and we have a dullness in living. So inspiration to me is the prerequisite to beginning any meditation because I make a distinction between what I would call a relaxation exercise where you, you know, you get still and calm versus a meditation where you still your brain chatter, but you're in a very expansive open state. So the first step is inspiration and what, inspires people is not the same. We don't all get inspired by the same music or the same people or the same memory. So it's a very personal choice, but it's the feeling of being wowed. So I always tell people to begin meditation by focusing on something that inspires you. And one of my favorite quotes, I think it's in that chapter by Emily Dickinson, where she said she knows a poem by two things one when she feels chills all over her body and can't get warm sitting next to a fire, and two when she feels the top of her head come off. <laughs> yeah, that's a great quote. <laughs> and that is, I love that she could feel it. Yes. That when you're inspired, if it's real poetry, it inspires you. 
you feel as if the top of your head has come off. And that's the feeling of an open crown chakra. And once that's open, then I tell people to use an affirmation, a positive affirmative statement. So you can practice saying one sentence instead of brain chatter. And I usually tell people to simply say, I am spirit. I am infinite spirit. I am spirit. I am infinite spirit. And then pause, hold your mind still, and then go back to the affirmation and then pause and then go back to the affirmation and gradually elongate the pauses until you can hold your brain chatter still and you're in a positive, expansive state. And when you can achieve that, then you can experience whatever the meditation is going to show you, but also you can use it in an interactive way to ask for insight about something specific and then to listen very deeply. Mm. That's that's a beautiful picture in and of itself because we have so much chatter anyways, bombarded with messages constantly. Everything is distracting, everything is happening, things move too quick. And we, you know, I I, I say to people, one of the best gifts we may which would probably give us some great value would be if we couldn't just jump on a plane and fly to California. It'd be like you have to, you're in a buggy and you have to go all the way across country, you know, in a, in a buggy because it, it slows you down. You know, it stops you because that's that mind chatter and it's chaos. I try to use this phrase. I like to say it a lot. It's, it, it can be a cacophony of chaos, Right. But what if we learn to put cosmos to that chaos? And that's exactly what you're talking about. And you brought up affirmation, which was the second thing that I really want to share with the audience. And that's where you even mentioned already the muscle testing exercise in breaking that chain of negativity. But, you know, every day we have so many thoughts, you know, and the way you put it and, you know, conscious, unconscious, constructive, destructive, they pass through our minds, right? But you talk about you know, you encourage people to try this little exper experiment to observe for themselves the impact of their own thoughts. And then you move into this exercise or an explanation of it, imagining a miniature you. Would you talk about that? Yes. Um, you know, so often people are thinking thoughts, but they're not even aware of what they're thinking or they're speaking. Uh, I give an example in that chapter of my daughter is a teenager and yelling upstairs, you know, turn the music down. I'm going to go deaf. <laughs> but then learning from my guides that, you know, you don't want to affirm that you're going to go deaf, that the power of thoughts are enormous and the power of the spoken word is even greater. So using words well and wisely. So, um, so I think that, that the process of self-observation is extremely important. So I, I imagine for myself and I tell others, imagine a little you over your shoulder watching you, watching you, watching what you say and watching what you think and watching what you do and correcting yourself, nipping nipping things in the bud, you know, so often people say things that they don't even mean to say, it just comes out. And then there's regret later. 
And so the process of being self-observing is a very powerful tool to catch us in our mistakes so we can make corrections early in the process. That is so good. That is really good. And, and once again, that's that power of observation for me. I just feel like we need to do more of that and learn to tap into, and it'll make us better listeners. Um, I do believe it'll bring healing to our lives if we, you know, access that, um, take time with it. And once again, there's nothing to me, it's irreplaceable contemplation and reflection. Um, and then I even like to add simple things like, you know, I don't need a, a high powered computer, uh, to capture my thoughts. You know, I can, nothing listens better than a blank piece of paper, <laughs> you know, <laughs> just, you know what I mean? Phrase. You know, so it's like, just write it down and come back to it later and let the paper talk back to you. Cause it will, you know, you, you, you allow yourself to put it out and you're engaged in the exercise and you're bringing yourself forward in an exercise, in a process that you later can come back to and look at and say, now, what does the paper have to say to me? I spoke to it and it listened well. Now let me listen back and see what it's saying to me. Let me observe and look at myself. And I love the, I love the miniature you. <laughs> that is just great. Um, the combining of inspiration and affirmation under positivity, to me, I think that's power. I love when you couple things, you know, that's my whole thing is what can you couple with that? You know, so when you say, you know, most people, you, you talk to them about stuff and they're, instead of creating a way forward, they're editing everything they think or try. They're always editing. And it, like you wrote a book, I'm, I'm in the middle of writing a book and hopefully will be done by the end of this year. Um, and I feel like it has, you know, a lot of value that can go out and help people, but you can't edit while you write. You the you know it's like the Finding Forrester movie where he sits down with a young man and sitting at the typewriter and says, "Okay, write." And he's like, "Well, I don't have an outline. I don't have this. And what about this? And all these?" He's like, "Listen, this is for you. The first copy is for you." And we have to understand that when we're living life, a lot of the stuff we have to start doing it first. Give ourselves some freedom to create and not edit, allow yourself to express, to, to put it out there. What's the essence of what's happening inside of you or the essence of who you are. And so I'm a big coupling thing. Take this and that. So don't look at what you don't have. Let's look at what you do have and let's see what happens when you bring those together. Because ultimately you may realize that what you think you need, it's already there next to you. Most of the things we need are already around us. But the, the combining of inspiration and affirmation, I like the way you put this. It creates a force of positivity that eventually anecdotes um, uh, entrenched attitude like a salve that soothes the injured area and starts to heal it. Talk about how that happens because of that, because of that combination and that coupling. Well, you know, we, we all have attitudes. I, I define an attitude as a combination of thought and feeling that um, are habits. And those habits of attitudes can be positive or negative. And it has to do with repetition. You know, if you tell a child once they're stupid, it's not a big deal. But if you tell them thousands and thousands of times, it penetrates. 
So we all have conditioning, conditioning from parents, from our educational experience, from media and culture, some of which uh, is supportive of us and some of which is not. So when we absorb certain attitudes that are not constructive but become part of our habit, that can be hard to break. You know, I was just teaching a class yesterday and, you know, people have different negative habits. One person has an attitude of I'm not good enough. Another person has an attitude of feeling burdened by responsibility. Another person has an attitude that uh, they're not lovable. Um, These are negative habits. And so when you find an affirmation or a positive antidote to the negative habit, if you say it once, it's not a big deal. It doesn't do a lot. You know, when I first started working with this concept, my habit that I had to change was the fear of making mistakes. I came from a very high achieving family and very academic family. And I was different. I was the little psychic kid picking up on the teacher's personal life and missing the math lesson. (laughs) And it took me a while to understand what I had going. So I felt inadequate for a while. And when I first got trained by my guides in these beings I mentioned, they said my affirmation was mistakes are good. They're necessary for learning and growing. Mistakes are good. They're necessary for learning and growing. You cannot learn without making mistakes. So I said that thousands and thousands of times. Every time I took a shower, every time I took a walk, I said, mistakes are good. They're necessary for learning and growing. And, you know, I'm not afraid of making mistakes. I feel that over time, the use of finding the right affirmation for me antidoted my negative habit. Mm. Wow. That is, I mean, so it is so rich. And I think it's what I like about this conversation is I believe in having ones that uh, with people or the guests that it has shelf life. You know, there's a lot of uh, what I like is you're not speaking trendy. (laughs) And the latest thing, like I can tell this comes from a real place. And, um, and I say this often, if you listen to the podcast, you'll hear me, hear me say there are some that I may not say that, but a lot of times you'll hear me say, I can tell this is real. And I like shelf life. I'm not big into disposable. I don't, (laughs) I just don't do disposable. Well, like when someone says, Oh, I'm just going to do this temporarily right now just to get by. And I'm thinking, wow. You know, this is a this is my get by move. You know, I'm like, no, I want to know that what I'm doing is going to become a part of my foundational things for growth. You know, even failure, I failed not because I was trying to get by. I failed maybe because I wasn't thinking, but I can still use the failure to develop myself, grow, and improve. Right? I still can use it. It's not disposable. Stop thinking of our decisions as disposable, our actions as disposable, our thoughts, our feelings as disposable. These are real investments into this world that live far beyond our existence. They live, they move, 
They, you know what I mean? They function. I tell people it, it'll attach to, if I say something to someone, it attaches to them like it's looking for a host to live. You know, and, I like your language. Yeah, and it goes deep into the individual, and it's going to sprout a seed of its kind. It's going to, or through cross pollination mixed in whatever you have, it's going to become a new thing that has evolved. We all are affecting one another, and we're impacting things, and we need to be a lot more engaged in what it is that we are thinking, feeling, doing, saying, acting, how we're deciding, all of that is so important. But if you can get that alignment and you can get it handled on the inside, it's not something, it's kind of like, do you have to teach a 10-year-old how to eat Cheerios with his fingers? No. It happens once you dump those Cheerios on the, the little tray when they're a baby and they slap their hand down on it and they're dragging it and some stick to their hand and they press it up against their mouth. Well, over time, as motor skills develop, as understanding happens, it becomes more of a natural process. I'm just wondering what are the natural processes we're creating? What are we doing to improve those? How are we advancing them? So I just, anyways, I could go on and on about that. It's just, this is great. Um, in, in closing with you, I have a, just, especially on the book. And then I just have two of my final questions I like to ask people, but you know, as you figured out this infinite view and where this came from, you say, I, you know, I heard a guide say, and this is very into your book when living in attunement, your personal spiritual attainment is simultaneously your service. Yes. Do not serve the individual. Do not serve yourself. Rather serve the oneness of which you are a part. Like, wow. Mm -hmm. That is so powerful. I know you, you know, you, you know, there was a lot of learning and prior to that, you explained how you got to this place in this revelation, but how has your life changed as of that writing, as of this part, because I know you were, it's all been a, 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 you know, a work in progress. And this is, you know, you're putting down a lot of what you've learned or even what you see. But just living according to that, what have you seen just change and transform in your life? Gosh, I can, I can take your question in a lot of different directions. Um, well, I think, um, you know, when we serve others. When, when I observe people who serve others and not themselves, then they eventually get depleted and resentful. And when I see people serving themselves and not serving others, they end up feeling guilty. And all these negative um, issues come to the fore. Um, the concept of serving the oneness is the concept of attunement, that at the spiritual level, we are all spirit. And at the spiritual level, we have consensus. What's right for me is right for others. When there's deep, I've taught a workshop once on consensus and had people focus on a concept where people disagreed. And then in meditation, we had consensus that at the spiritual level, the attunement sometimes means personal sacrifice. 
or sometimes means that others need to sacrifice the superficial level. It's, it's very much like being a parent, you know, that when you want to get more sleep, but your child needs you in the middle of the night, the attuned thing is to get up with your child. But it doesn't mean that you're not doing that which is right for you. Because if you didn't do that which was right in the moment, it would feel bad to the person who avoided it. So when attunement is followed, which I define attunement as as the conscious mind aligning with the spiritual essence Mm. and following that uh, directive. And that spiritual essence can be within us, it can be around us, it can be in others, but it's this deeper level of consciousness and aligning our conscious mind with it. What it does is it creates a feeling of flow in life. It creates a feeling that I know who I am and I know what I need to do. And it doesn't necessarily mean it's easy, Mm. but it's the sense of resonance. I call it in my book, the, the difference between the bing and the thud, the, it resonates and it's, it's not a short term result. It's a long-term result that we're working toward. And so I teach this concept of attunement through meditation, through the use of the third eye, and it brings people into deeper perception, deeper than cultural conditioning to what I call the universals. Hmm. Well, you know, it, it, and I know I said I was, <laughs> that was, I got to, are you okay on time? I just want to make sure. I am, I am. You know, why do people choose easy? Because everything we're talking about, it requires work. Yes. It's, it's, what, it's something. Misconception. A lot of people aspire toward ease. Uh, my son once dubbed it the disease of ease. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, we have this idea that we're really successful if we have ease. Right, right. <laughs> or sometimes people overwork because they're trying to get to ease. But what my guides have taught me is to the earth to work. You know, it takes work to get dressed in the morning. It takes work to walk. It takes work to do the things that we've come to do. So it's really important to embrace work as a part of the creative endeavor. Wow. That is so good. Excellent. Oh, because yeah, I, I, it's like, I just want it to be easy. I just want like, this is what I hear all the time. This is too hard. Yeah. It requires work or they say it's too hard because it's like, even with people, you know, well, you're just too difficult. It's well, it's because it doesn't line up with the way you want to think. And I believe in the power of a growth mindset. Yes. And if people are not in their solar plexus that, but in their third eye, then it would be different. You see what happens in the solar plexus is people want what they want when they want it. And so there's, um, you know, I don't want this, you know, it's like, it's really a problem. But from the third eye, there's the ability to see the big picture. There's the ability to see that, yeah, you have to work to plant the seeds in the garden, but then you get the harvest. Right. So my last two questions for you. Number one, 
Over the next 12 months, could be personal or professional, what are you most optimistic about? Three, three things. Three things you're most optimistic about. <laughs> um, I'm optimistic about learning. I'm optimistic about um, sharing my book and my ideas to a wider audience. I'm optimistic about the perfection and interconnection in life, that no matter how things unfold, there is an order and there are reasons, and that makes life an adventure. Wow, those are so good. I love it. I love it. Um, the show, you know, is called Uphill Conversations. And I tell people anything worth having is uphill, but you can't go uphill with downhill habits. And <laughs> and the reason you want to go uphill is because your current condition is where you are. Your emerging future is up above. You know, it's up. You got to go uphill to get there. It's you got to, you know, if you, I'm not a cyclist, but if you wrote a, you know, you see these guys in Tour de France, they have to draft each other. They know how to, they know their gears. They know, I mean, there's so much that goes into it, but there's a reason they give the guy a yellow jersey for completing the climbs, you know? So with you, though, I want to, what would you say is a downhill habit, though, that you've had, could be in the past or recently, that you knew you had to get rid of? for your climb to your emerging future? Um, Let me think about that for a minute. Um, The the habit of um, tolerating that which I shouldn't tolerate. Um, Because I can see people's spirit and I can see their potential very easily. And sometimes the human behavior part of a person is outrageous. And because I see the potential, sometimes I have a bad habit of hanging in too long instead of saying enough. Hmm. Thank you for such a transparent answer, because that's what people need to hear Because somebody listening can say, oh, me too. What's the best way that you would like people to connect with you to, you say, the simplest, best ways for them to learn more about you and connect with you? I have a website. It's very simple. It's Ellen Tad. So my last name is T as in Thomas, A-D-D.com, ellentad.com. And uh, there's a contact page and people can contact me through my website. And I have my book, The Infinite View, a guidebook for life on earth, but I also have uh, a book called The Wisdom of the Chakras, Tools for Navigating the Complexity of Life, and then also a book called Death and Letting Go. So those those are available, and uh, I hope that uh, that what I've had to say is helpful. I believe it is. It's been great. I, a very rich conversation, and I do appreciate it. And um You've been wonderful. Thank you. And I really appreciate this opportunity because without providing the opportunity, I would just be talking to myself. (laughs) (laughs) I know that feeling. I feel like I do that quite a bit. (laughs) So this has been another episode of Uphill Conversations. Always remember your current condition does not match your emerging future. 
Anything worth having is uphill, but you cannot go uphill with downhill habits. Always remember you can be more, do more, and have more. Your reasons for being, doing, and having are for you to figure out and no one else. But most importantly, you will see people like me and Ellen on the hill. You've been listening to Uphill Conversations. If you'd like to hear more, subscribe to the show at uphillconversations.co. See you on the hill.